Welcome to episode three of the Grassroots Government Podcast. I'm Avery Davidson. Joining me virtually, we're all practicing the social distancing thing, is Carl Wiggers. It's a new thing. It is a new thing. Andy Brown, the uh, National Affairs Coordinator for the Louisiana Farm Bureau, and Louisiana Farm Bureau Legislative Specialist Joe Mapes. And we're all at our respective homes, but with the wonders of technology, the internet, and science, we're able to all come together virtually right here uh, to put together this podcast. And uh, Carl, I gotta, I gotta give you props. You're the one who put this together. Well, we have all the tools in the world today, at least here in Baton Rouge, we do uh, with the internet and all the uh, the goodness that it brings with the new platforms and features and. There's tools everywhere, so I figured, why not? Let's let's use them. Everybody else is using Zoom and Dropbox and all these other different Google Hangout type ways to hang out. So we can use the same technology and put a podcast together. Why not, right? Well, Joe, you you were over the legislature, and uh, then suddenly they decided to suspend things. I mean, here we are. It would be the, what the sec end of the second week of the the legislative session. It began March 9th. So yeah, w- did did you think you would be home? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, not in a million years, Avery. Uh, you know that. Uh, I mean, I, I had months or weeks at least in advance. I started having those those visions at night. I don't know if you call them nightmares or what, but you start dreaming about what's coming and being in that building for 85 days straight for about 12 hours on average daily. And uh, so, no, I never we never thought we'd be where we are here uh, dealing with things virtually. I want to say about this podcast, I do feel the virtual love, Carl. So, you know, thank <laughs> you for bringing it all together. But, uh, you know, it is good that we have these tools. Uh, I was on the uh, on the phone today with a conference call with AT&T. That was comforting, you know, getting uh, their perspective and what they're doing to help uh, do their part in the state. Uh, you know, I was on the phone with Lloyd Dotson earlier today. We we're talking about an issue up there. And, uh, we got on a conference call with uh, Farm Bureau Executive Committee this morning at nine. That was comforting. So it's it's nice to be able to continue to be part of this this Farm Bureau family. Uh, a bit all of this. Well, with it suspended, with the legislative session suspended until March 31st, what does that mean for what's going to happen whenever legislators finally go back? And also, let's let's talk a little bit about that uh, that resolution to suspend because there was at least one person who spoke against it. There was, and that person stated that uh, the that the legislative body should uh, accept their responsibility, show leadership, stay in town, uh, in the building, and um, he that those that comment those comments were not met with. Uh, any support? Uh, what the Stuart Bishop took the microphone right behind that to close on the on the resolution for the speaker, and he said, "You know, we're not supposed to exceed uh, uh, fifty in a crowd, uh, ten in a crowd." He said, "But certainly not fifty in a crowd." And he says, "And we have to have fifty-three votes in here uh, to to vote for something, so it'd be kind of hard to do." That being said, it's an interesting point, Avery. The 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 resolution calls for the session to reconvene on March 31st. Now, what if the the virus is peaking? Okay, we still have to by law we have to have all the bills for this session that are filed read into the journal for the second reading by March 31st. If that doesn't happen, then you know those pieces of legislation are they're not official. So so what 
we think is going to happen. They're going to come in March 31st for a very short period of time, um, read the bill through, get them into the system, and then maybe uh, uh, assign some of the money bills to committee and then adjourn, okay, and then wait and see what happens with the, the virus. Um, yesterday, they posted all, uh, all the sc- committee schedule in the House for all the committees, and they start March 31st and then April 1st. And then you look on those agendas in the committees and it's not just budget bills or money bills. It's every bill that committee's got almost. So uh, I had that conversation with other lobbyists. You just We're just not sure how that all happens after we come back. But for now, the only thing we're really going to do is read everything into the second reading and then take it from there. I'm just, I got to ask real quick. These are uncharted. Has this ever happened, something like this? In legislature, no, since you've been no, doing this, no, we never, we never, we didn't. When we all started talking about it, I'm talking about legislators, lobbyists, staffers. We, you know, we're like, what are we going to do? Are we going to suspend the session? Are we going to have an emergency session later? Are we just going to call this one off? You know, and call another. So, by law, we're limited as to our choices. We can only have one session per year. So, uh, I think an emergency session would have been too short. I don't know. Uh, we didn't even explore that really, uh, but we they researched the law and found that this was the way to do it, suspend it. And the other question I don't know the answer to is when we come back in, when we reconvene, are we adding two weeks uh, mm-hmm. to the session? And, and look, look, I'm going to. I'm going to hope that we're able to go back to work April 1st. And if so, I, w- I could guarantee, I, I could almost guarantee that most of us there would want to go home on the, on the scheduled date. So we'd work hard to make up those two weeks. Well, Joe, what does this mean for some of the issues that are important to rural Louisiana? Does that mean that they're going to not get covered this session possibly? Well, again, that's that's the sixty four thousand dollar question. I think they I think they are. I think we're going back in and I think we're going to have plenty of time to deal with these issues, including uh, issues like uh, broadband, uh, you know, rural broadband, like uh, tort reform. Uh, yeah, I think we're going to have plenty of time to deal with these issues. Let's go ahead and move on from from state affairs to to nationals. Andy Brown, uh, we've had uh, declarations from Homeland Security saying that agriculture is essential, that it is uh, a critical part of our infrastructure. What's going on uh, on the national front to to protect uh, our food supply chain? Yeah, so there's uh, there's that good news, at least from a Louisiana farmer perspective, that they're not going to be interrupted in trying to get seed in the ground and get uh, a lot of the crop here started for many of our commodities. Uh, we all know that that ag is essential. All these uh, panic buys and all the logistical issues going on. Uh, the secretary, Secretary Purdue, uh, held a press conference. I think it was yesterday. Uh, the days kind of run together with all this going on, but came out to to reaffirm the public that food supply is not an issue. And with a de- declaration like this from Homeland Security to let the next growing season of food not be an issue uh, is all positive news. So. Farmers are doing their part for sure. Uh, it's just a matter of big government uh, kicking into gear and, and taking care of a lot of other things to try and keep the supply chain going, to keep markets going, to keep folks in business on the, the front and back end. Farmers are going to do what they always do, what they know how to do, and that's uh, that's grow a crop or raise an animal or uh, take care of, of their livelihoods. But uh, there's 
inputs and outputs that make that that go. So we're trying to keep it all together. Well, I know I was talking to uh, one uh, farmer yesterday who who's been practicing uh, social distancing on his tractor and doing it very well, and that was Scott Wiggers, uh, Carl's dad. I've heard and, of him. Yeah, you may have heard of him a little bit. Uh, but you know, he's he was concerned about whether things would continue as far as being able to get those inputs, feed seed, fertilizer, but also. You know, there's a concern about labor, uh, whether there's going to be enough uh, H-2A labor. What do you know about that, Andy? Yeah, we've been monitoring that, and a lot of the commodity groups have weighed in. Uh, USDA, I wasn't on this call, but I know USDA held a call with a lot of the commodity groups uh, to address that very issue, uh, particularly out of Mexico, where there was uh, some kind of Quarantine, stoppage of interviews, processing at the consulate uh, was the word we were getting. But uh, our government, our State Department and uh, other agencies are working to clear those things up as quickly as they can. The The hard facts, at least out of Mexico, were that they were going to continue to process returning workers, those who don't require an interview and some of the, I guess, more streamlined folks to make sure they were getting into the country. Uh, I don't know a specific, but there's uh, the same discussions going on with South Africa and, and some of these nations where we get a lot of our labor from. So uh, there may be some, some kinks along the way that have to get worked out. This is a prime time example of when a group like Farm Bureau can come in handy because we want to help you if you have that type of an issue. Uh, don't just assume that you're out of luck. You know, we want to we want to make phone calls and try and make connections. I know our uh, congressional delegation would be happy to weigh in if if need be to try and make uh, all the pieces come together, because the last thing we want is to have, you know, our produce crops or to have uh, animals that need to be tended to and taken care of that that otherwise wouldn't be if they don't get the proper labor source here and and, you know, a lot of people have invested money and time into making these contracts happen and a lot of legality behind labor. Uh, not my specialty, but we definitely uh, want to see those issues uh, go as, as well as we can hope for in, in times like these. So it's fluid. That's kind of the, the message to all of this today with coronavirus nationally is, is by the minute, it seems like something's uh, coming out or coming up that's that's having to be worked on. But Thankfully, so far, um, we're, we're pretty successful in that from what we're seeing out of our leadership. Our government um, is, is coming together like in times like these in the past that, that they always have. So uh, just stick with us. If you have questions, reach out to us or concerns and we'll we'll work on it. Uh, the labor, the supply chain issue, there's been many letters from your I mean, every commodity group signing on, uh, American Farm Bureau, uh, all of the commodity-specific groups, and, and the administration is, is not messing around. They're, they're taking heed to those and getting turned around uh, pretty quick on answers, usually within 24 hours is what we're seeing. So that's good news. Uh, and we're, we're trying to make sure as well uh, states, state rights come into play a lot in these emergency-type situations, letting states – declare different disaster levels as, you know, to their need. So there's communication going on with, uh, you know, kind of like we talked about before on this podcast, it all comes together 
uh, especially in times like these where federal and state work hand in hand. So we're we're implementing those things, too. Well, I know that uh, the administration and Congress are working on some things concerning our economy, a stimulus package, if you will. Uh, The initial uh, term thrown around was a $1 trillion stimulus package, which would send checks of $1,000 to each adult. Uh, That seems to be changing a little bit. Yeah. So uh, there's, if you remember the last time I was on this with y'all two weeks ago, there had already been one uh, stimulus package at $8.3 billion that had come out. And it was when we were just kind of seeing some movement on uh, COVID-19, Corona. And um, since then, uh, earlier this week, I believe it was Wednesday, a second round, uh, second bill, House Bill uh, 6201 was passed in both chambers. um, And they really breaking that down into millions of dollars here and millions of dollars there, but it's in the billions when you add it all up together. But then, yeah, Avery, what you just, uh, what you just mentioned is the, the next round, the third tranche, the third package, whatever you want to call it. Uh, last night, the Republicans from the Senate side came out with their, uh, over a trillion dollar package. Uh, the Democrats have a $850 billion, uh, price tag on their ideas. So, it's going to take uh, some bipartisanship to negotiate those and do them pretty timely. But so far, that's actually been successful. It's it's a whole new world in Washington, D.C. right now. Um, they're doing conference calls and communicating from quarantined locations just like we are today to make these things happen. So pretty interesting times. Uh, I don't have the, the history books in front of me to tell you when our nation has seen something like this, but I don't think we've seen this kind of technology capability to allow for this to happen. So that's certainly a blessing to to keep things going forward. One of the things, I mean, I mentioned this kind of briefly in the beginning is, you know, we're pretty fortunate here in Baton Rouge. We all have pretty good internet where we can do this kind of stuff over, over the internet, but something that I've seen a lot of people sharing from across the state is they're having to homeschool. Now this is state and national joe and andy both of y'all can probably chime in on this because joe you mentioned it earlier being a big issue in the state but rural broadband i mean some people a lot of people are working from home us included and it's really convenient to have good internet to be able to do that but is this gonna is that gonna move up the priority list you know as we kind of come out of this and see some legislation moving in the state and national levels uh andy start with you well i would say um this will just add to, this will just give some, probably rally a lot more folks around this issue that may not have realized what type of broadband capabilities they need mm-hmm. uh, until they need it. And here they are at home and may not have what they need. But, um, you know, the thing that I'm excited about, and I think our membership should be proud of, whether they're the farming member or the teacher mom at home that's, you know, helping the way she can do or whoever it is uh, the private sector while we're sitting here talking about government today and what all they're flexing their muscle on it, there's a lot of private sector stuff going on too that's that's contributing to helping you know ease the pains of this issue so yeah we I, I would love to sit here and tell you that this is gonna uh, change the game with real broadband but uh the push is there for real broadband nationally, and, and I think the states 
following suit, Joe can comment on that. But the the push is there. It's just broadband takes time, a mm. lot of money, mm. and takes the right players in the right places to get these lines run at a, a feasible cost for both the companies and the end user. So it's not something that's going to to happen overnight, that's for sure. What say you, Joe? I can tell you that in in, in our legislature, uh, we've got several pieces of legislation that would establish a rural broadband program uh, in conjunction with electrical co-ops. Uh, of course, it would be an election of the members ultimately, but uh, there's one piece of legislation in there that Andy and I have discussed this. It's somewhat similar to a bill that passed in Mississippi but uh, what it talks about is the broad, uh, a, a small electrical co-op company, if they elect, if their members elected to do so, could go into business with, um, what do you call them, Andy? That's a class of ter- uh, professionals or money people in the bill, uh, affiliates. Okay, so uh, a co-op could find an affiliate that would financially sponsor them to getting into the. Uh, into the business. Well, the problem with that in both Mississippi and Louisiana, there's no group of affiliates sitting around waiting to get mm. invested in the rural broadband uh, uh, program. However, the the utility companies around the country have shown great interest in getting uh, involved in rural broadband. And our current uh, uh, pr- president pro tem in the Senate, Senator Beth Mizell, has a piece of legislation that AT and I mean that uh, Entergy is trying to amend right now, which would basically put the uh, utility businesses uh, in the broadband mm. business. And so I don't know I don't know how that's going to go. I tell you all of this because it answers the question. Yes, there is great interest in all of this, and I think that that because of where we are in the Louisiana legislature, with pieces of legislation already having been filed and already, we talked about this bill on the phone with a, in my AT&T conference call this morning. So because it's already there, all of that's already there, and um, and we do, we are going to have more remote uh, working situations. I think in the Louisiana legislature, it will increase uh, the mm. interest and, and support for, for such. Now, the problem is, and Andy can speak to this too, is getting the money, not just from the affiliates, which would be private companies, but there's supposed there is, there's a boatload of USDA money for this, but it's almost inaccessible. It's almost untouchable. And then if you get the money, I'm told the rules, uh, like you, if you got a bunch of money for a particular area, you'd have to service and maintain all of the other accounts in the area that, that would, that, you know, a bunch of other accounts in the area that wouldn't be able to, uh, survive on their own. So I don't know. It's a lot of, like I said, red tape, right, Andy, with the money at the federal level? Yeah. And like you said, having the provider that is, you know, that, that makes sense. So it's it's taking what we've seen uh, for one instance, uh, we've had one uh, paycheck come down to a provider in Louisiana through these USDA reconnect dollars. But what we hope to see more of is you kind of have to have uh, a person that, that has the capability uh, feasibly economically to run the lines, but then that typically, I, I don't want to say all the time, but a lot of the time uh, that person who has the infrastructure to run fiber through the countryside may not be the best one suited to maintain you know, the network, to maintain the customer relations and the billing and all that stuff. So it takes a lot of not just 
public-private partnerships, but public-private-private private partnerships, you know, multifaceted agreements. And, you know, just like Joe said, follow the money. It, it takes a lot of agreement to do that. And when there's pots of money sitting out there to get people to come together, just takes time and, and the right connections. Uh, nobody asked me, uh, and maybe they never will, but this is such a huge behemoth undertaking. Uh, and what do we do when we want to eat an elephant? We eat it one bite at a time. So I'm thinking pilot program, right, Andy? I mean, if we can identify a public-private public relationship, but it's not this giant amount of money and it's drilled down to one section and it's you know one section of the state, a limited amount of population or whatnot, Maybe that's something we ought to look at. Yeah, and that's kind of how these reconnect dollars were structured. Is is they had a a first tranche of five hundred million, and and that was uh, pretty well eaten up across the country. So they came across with a even bigger package the second time. So they're just kind of rolling it out. But the, on the other side, what actually came about uh, last week or the week before, maybe before all this uh, Corona stuff blew up, is there was a a bill that came through Congress that uh, what a lot of people have been working on is on the FCC side to clean up this data mapping and all of the, this kind of the background data collection that it takes to get rural broadband to make sense. So the first maps that came out had all of this coverage in areas, you know, states like Louisiana and through the mid South, you'd see a map and it looked like, you know, Verizon's, 5g coverage it shows the whole country is pink well that's not true you can go anywhere in the state and find gaps in that coverage and so there's been a lot of work uh out of of the senate side to kind of put fcc in check and and make sure that they're really getting down to the nitty-gritty who's got coverage and who doesn't before you just start throwing money out there and then you know, semi-urban areas could gobble that money up real quick before it actually gets out to true rural America. Oh, and I've got so many opinions on the whole 5G thing that I'm going to I'm going to keep to myself <laughs> right now because, uh, you know, it, 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 it hits me when we start talking about radio frequencies and those sorts of things. Carl and I have had those discussions about wireless microphones. So um, mm. because a lot of the old wireless microphone frequencies. Can you say Geiger counter? No, 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 no. I can't say Geiger counter. Uh, <laughs> but the uh, the problem is the some of the wireless microphone frequencies we used to use are now being used for 5G and for uh, for cellular companies. They got sold. So I we actually were in the, the Farm Bureau owned some equipment that we can't use anymore because it's no longer in compliance with FCC rules. But I'm, I'm going on a complete and utter tangent. But you notice what we haven't really talked about? We haven't really talked about COVID-19 for the last few minutes because we were talking about broadband. And there are other things going on other than COVID-19. So we've had some, what, some more trade wins from what I understand. And uh, Andy, what, what, what is going on on the trade front? Yeah, so like I said, stuff's coming out left and right, uh, just trying to keep up with all the, the news in the world. But um, as Joe alluded to earlier, there's been some places across the world, particularly China and South Korea, that seem to be coming out of their corona slump and are getting back to business. And that was seen no better than this morning, a huge purchase of uh, corn and wheat 
was made. I think it was seven hundred and fifty million dollars. I think uh, is what I read. So um, you know that's huge. That's that's phase one China actually. Oh, excuse me, seven hundred fifty thousand metric tons. So it wasn't in dollar figures. I'm getting my stimulus money and corn purchases mixed up this morning. But uh, too stimulated. Who bought that, Andy? Uh, China did as part of the the phase one uh, purchasing agreements. So I don't know exactly where, but uh, corn and wheat from the U.S. going to China. So phase one still yeah. on track. So that's just kind of uh, to, to roll that into a big question still out in farm country is, is MFP3 going to be a part of these stimulus packages? Uh, Secretary Purdue said yesterday that uh, we're still looking at the markets and the president is has committed to helping the farmer, but we're not committing to MFP3 just yet. I think that's, you know, like we've said before, farmers just need to get a crop in the ground, plant what they think's best, even if nothing's looking great, uh, just plant what's best for you. And then come summertime, midsummer, lay-by time is when, you know, we'd really have a chance to push hard for, for MFP 3.0. Well, I'm looking forward to us being able to do this podcast uh, in the same room again. Uh, I know Amen. Carl Carl would like not having some of the technical issues that we're putting up with. <laughs> Just going to make me have to edit a little bit more after the fact. It's all good. I will give one last uh, shout out. I, I like to, to give love to our congressional members when they deserve it. I've been in contact with uh, Congressman Johnson's office and Congressman Graves' office about some support they want to give uh, towards the our trade representatives and making sure uh, the other good announcement this was this week uh, moving forward with discussions with Kenya. So that's uh, we've talked about that a little bit before. The UK and EU kind of overshadowed it, but amidst all this crisis, there is actual government going on and trade negotiations beyond just coronavirus. So uh, those. Those congressional members and others, uh, Abraham and Higgins, had already come out in support of, of uh, Rice being included in trade to Kenya, and some of our other members are following suit. So while their staffers are teleworking and doing the, the protocol, they're still pushing for Louisiana and their constituents. So uh, we're, we're very thankful for that. Well, we also appreciate the work that uh, Mike Strain has done as well, because uh I spoke with him yesterday and, he, you know, he made sure to, to, to say that he's, you know, been in contact with the USDA uh, about keeping supply chains open and making sure that, you know, workers are able to, to continue with processing of poultry and the like. Uh, Joe, have you had any other contact with the uh, Department of Ag and Forestry? Oh, yeah. Mike and I talk about two or three times a day right now. And one of the conversations that we had yesterday was that we need to make sure that sugar transportation is included in food and food uh, when, when we're talking about uh uh, essential only essential services being allowed to uh, travel on the on the road, and we need to make. And so what I did is I reached out to the governor's office to let them know they need to make sure they that going from the mill to the uh, 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 processing plant to, needs to 
from the mill to the refinery, I'm sorry, from the mill to the refinery, that trip is critical. And if we're shut down from making that trip, we typically have about 30 days of reserve sugar because of, except right now where we are in the season, and I don't really understand it, maybe y'all can explain it, but uh, we're down to five days of reserve and, and, and because of the way the season's running right now. And so if we, if they happen to issue an order Anybody, any government happens to issue an order saying essential services only and sugar's not included in that, our entire sugar industry would shut down. That's not an exaggeration because you'd be one to two days into this order, this mandate, right? And then you'd be trying to turn it around, but the whole time you're eating up your reserves. So it's not like, you know, it's you can't produce something that's not there. So we've got to keep... Uh, communications open with people like Mike Strain in the governor's office for, for situations just like this. Um, two days, two days ago, uh, you know, we had a, a, a casino try to evict all of the uh, horses and trainers uh, out on the street that day. And Mike Strain, we were on the phone, Mike and I were on the phone with others and state representatives, uh, Julie Emerson, Bo, Wallow, uh, also Ronnie Johns, we were all working feverishly to stop this from happening. Uh, we're still working on it, as a matter of fact. But whereas you have some people that choose to be good neighbors in a time of need like this and support each other, like we've all been discussing today, there's others that see situations like this as an opportunity to try and take an advantage of it and not be a good corporate neighbor at all. So, yes, we, Mike and I talk. Uh, every day. Uh, haven't talked to him yet today, but we will. And and, and, and I've, I've stressed to him and we've, we've agreed that these types of communications, uh, just like this podcast, just like us all four stayed in touch, are critical at this time. It's critical that everyone continue to communicate, even if it's from a safe distance of at least six feet away. In our case, I think we're all at least six miles away from one another. So, I really appreciate you, Carl, for making this happen. Uh, Andy Brown, Joe Mapes for all getting together to do the Grassroots Government Podcast. And uh, Joe, I'll let you sign it off like you always do, brother. Well, thanks for including me. And you know how it is. If you're not at the table, you're on the menu. 